Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Girl, I do That's a bad hat, Andrew. It's a good idea. Not a doctor. Bye, have a good one. From you, Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing The Sopranos Season 6, Part 2. We're back, baby. We After are. A, a full month off... And much Ooh. need, I must say. It's been uh, fun. We are back to finally get to our final review of The Sopranos. Yeah. Uh, how are you going, Damask? Uh, well, I was telling you just before, I had quite a late night last night. Um, and I still had one episode to watch of The Sopranos. So I woke up at about 6am today, finished The Sopranos, then wrote my thoughts and feelings about it. So look, I'm in a daze. Um I think the hangover is coming any second. Uh, so we'll see how we go. How are you, Brad? Great way to watch the famous and controversial final episode of The Sopranos. Amazing. I kind of think right. it is, yeah. It's been a rough, rough mm. sort of month or mm-hmm. more in Victoria in particular. I mean, worse so, don't want to get too much into like the politics of what's happening with COVID in Australia and stuff like that. But Sydney's mm-hmm. in a really bad place, New South Wales. And Victoria mm. is sort of second cousin to that at the moment. Um, so yeah, listen, the time off was really needed, I think. Uh, I yeah. appreciate the listeners for being patient with us. Um, we've actually got a really stacked sort of back end of the year coming up here. We do. Um, we've got a lot. I, I was looking at our schedule and, and as it currently stands, it's pretty much full to the end of the year. There's a couple of spots remaining. Mm. Um, so lots of exciting stuff to watch. But before we do that, we need to get to our spoiler-free review of The Sopranos Season 6 Part 2 and discuss, in general, our thoughts on the whole of The Sopranos. Let me clue you in. Season in review. This is it. More than two years after starting, we have finally found ourselves at the end of Tony Soprano's story. It's certainly been something. Sopranos Season 6 Part 2 delivers the final nine episodes of this era-defining TV series, each coming in at around 52 minutes. It took us approximately 7 hours and 45 minutes to watch. Let's not waste too much time. We have our obligatory leading question for the very last time, Damask. Mm. How have you found the previous five and a half seasons of The Sopranos leading up to Season 6 Part 2? I mean, uh, sorry, I'm still in shock that it's been more than two years. Yeah, we started in like April 2019, I think. There's been some big gaps. It's not like we've just yeah, been no, chipping I know. away at 10 minutes but a day. But It's just like, fucking hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. So, my memories of the last two plus years, um, I started off with really high hopes. Um, there are bits that I did enjoy, but ultimately... Um, it's been, I would say, less than satisfying. That, that, that's it? That's, that's it? That's <laughs> summing up everything? 
I think so. Yeah. I mean, the, I because this is the last season, I think I say a lot more in my spoiler-free review, so I can just wait until then. But I think that's just my general malaise about the whole thing, to sure. be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, in a similar way, I think we both really liked season one, sort of understood that this was you know, a prestige television with a heap, a heap of uh, people loving it around the world. They talk about being the best television show of all time. It started the golden era of television. Mm. And as people who started this podcast trying to catch up on some of those things that we'd missed, we've done Breaking Bad, we've done The Wire, it was time to get The Sopranos. We went with a lot of optimism, Mm -hmm. definitely had some highs. We've been surprised probably how much we haven't necessarily loved the show along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're up to the final season. Mm. You know, endings can really, really help to define a show. Absolutely. These last nine episodes. Damask, do you want to give the listeners your spoiler-free review of The Sopranos Season 6 Part 2? And if you feel like it, just your general thoughts on The Sopranos overall without spoiling anything. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I don't really, but I will because that's <laughs> what I'm here to do. What you um, want to do and what you have to do are different things. <laughs> exactly. All right. We did it, everyone. We did it. I'm so, so, so proud of us. Um, this is a real achievement in my life. For so long, I've been saying, I need to watch The Sopranos. I need to watch it. And now I have. So back when we first started this podcast a million years ago, we decided to watch Breaking Bad. And I felt excited because I knew it was one of the shows that was decidedly great. Um And I enjoyed that show's beginnings, but as it went on, I became more and more horrified at how little I enjoyed it. Um, I think even looking back, that kind of disdain grows every day. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I think at that time, because we were were so young, so precious back then. Literally, I I started the podcast, wasn't it? It was our first one. (laughs) Yeah. I had a little bit of fear about being someone who thought it was shit towards the end. Sure. Um, cause I was like, well, maybe I am just actually stupid and missing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and guess what guys, I have similar feelings around the Sopranos, you know, this show is amazing, right? It is the television show. Everyone says that it's like, you know, the one, the foundation for all this amazing TV we have now. It's so good. No matter when you watch it, who you are, everyone should fucking love the Sopranos. Um, and I must be stupid and missing something. I like, and I'm not totally discounting that. Maybe that is true. Um, so feel free to skip listening to a review by someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, I guess, if that's how you feel. Um, but I gotta be honest, I severely dislike this show. Um, severely dislike. (laughs) That's such a strong emotion. I truly think that... With the death of the actress who played, and that's spoilers for real life, so fuck you. You're like, oh, I haven't watched any of The Sopranos yet. I'm listening to your season six review. Like, whatever. <laughs> um, I truly think that with the death of the actress who played Tony's mum, I think the show entirely lost its direction and meandered from there. And it's kind of like in hindsight, because like when we watch it season to season, we're like, Maybe it's not going to get better. Maybe like this is the season where like things really come together and like, you know, a lot of shows don't start great Mm -hmm. or they kind of reach their potential. They build to something. So you always have that hope as you're going through a show and not loving it. And I always held out that hope 
for both The Sopranos and Breaking Bad, being like, well, maybe now, well, maybe now. And it's always after I've watched the whole thing and realizing that I didn't get what I wanted, that I'm just like, fuck this show. (laughs) So there's, yeah. So after that meandering, and we've, fuck, I feel like I've got PTSD. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So. What an impression the show has left on you. (laughs) I mean, there's just so much that like, looking back, I'm like, fuck this show. Like the female characters suck. Carmela is tossed to the side. Meadow is a shadow of a wisp of a character. Meadow I agree with. Not necessarily uh, agree with Carmela, but I agree with Meadow. Even at the end of this show, you don't think Carmela was absolutely like, in the end, who the fuck cares? I mean, that's a different thing, but that's not necessarily that she was tossed aside like other female characters were. I think Carmela is still a very important part of the show. Whether the show... What the show thinks of Carmela is a different story, but but Meadow is just. I think is, at the end we're, of this show, Carmela has but... absolutely been tossed to the side. Okay, okay, absolutely. Like that. That's just I one hundred percent believe that. Okay. Melfi is irrelevant. Um, nothing more than a plot device, uh, and every other woman is to be ogled, fucked, and treated like nothing unless they're old, and then they are to be mocked, ridiculed, or pitied. Um, this show was one that I really wanted to become invested in, but it ended up being a slice of life Goodfellas fanfic. Like, I fucking hate slice of life fanfics. Like, unless you're giving me a beautiful insight into the characters, I really doubt that you're going to pull it off. It's I hate so, this show. I, I guess that's the question then. Do you think the show was insightful enough with its slice of life stuff. You need to be insightful. And that's where I think you'd probably have a debate with somebody is how insightful was the show? Did yeah, you feel I like could have a debate and I would say... down into these characters in a way that you found worth your time? No, I think this yeah. show has such a basic idea of like psychology that it's kind of <laughs> insulting, to be honest with you. Because um, I was thinking about this, I was like, it goes, I kind of speak a little bit about this further down in my review, but like just, you know, not enjoying watching a show about cunts being cunts. And mm. I was like, well, I can actually like that. Like, you know, this isn't spoilers, but I'm watching The White Lotus at the moment. And that's sure. a show about cunts being cunts to each other. Um, but there is we've watched, a- We've watched Succession. We fucking love Succession. Yeah. There's a certain element of like really being able to penetrate the psychology of of people who act like that and that is really engaging. You can also have like, you know, a character that you root for and they may not be a good person but there's at least like a character here or a moment here where you're like, fuck yeah, awesome. That like by the end of this show, like all of that, like that was, it was, the show was devoid of that. Um, So I didn't know what to hold on to. I hated everyone, blah, blah. Anyway, I'll continue on with what I've written. Um, (laughs) Such an odyssey we're on here going. Yeah. Like, look, nothing really happens in this show. I don't care about these people. You don't want me to care about these people. Like, why am I here? Someone please help me get out of this boring hellscape was often what I'd write in my notes. Um, I look back at the 1700 million hours of this show that I watched and who have I come to understand in a rich way. Like, this is just what we were talking about. Who am I invested in and sitting around thinking, I wonder what that character is doing now. Like, am I going to be thinking that, like, this time next year about any of these people? No. Um, like I said, this show is about cunts being cunty to one another with little to no consequences. There's wall-to-wall misogyny. There's racism and homophobia. 
for what? What was I meant to get out of this? Did I enjoy the story of asshole straight men douchebags? No, I did not. I don't find people like that interesting in reality, and this fictional version wasn't made interesting either. Get me out of this heterosexual gender norm, archaic hellscape, please. I don't want to be around these people. They fucking suck. Anyway, this season... Oh, I am subjected to watching hours of AJ who has grown the worst facial hair in history <laughs> and all he does is walk around being a shitty little prick. No, thank you. I find him to be insulting to people with mental illness. Why the fuck would I want to watch a, sh- like, watch a show with a second of AJ in it? He's one of the most annoying characters in TV history. Through AJ, this show wants to discuss the oh-so-compelling topic of whether being a dickhead is due to nature or nurture. And with The Sopranos, I think it's both, and I think we've cemented that pretty, pretty clearly. (laughs) Their family is full of arsewipes who are emotionally inept, and it makes me want to smash my head into a wall. Their family tree has been firmly planted in a pile of manure for so long that Somehow this tree has transformed into a pile of shit itself. Like it's just shit on shit on shit in this show. Stop, stop, stop. Sorry, I love it. I love it. Is this not what the show is talking about though? Is this not exactly what the show is? Yes, for seasons on seasons on seasons, but it doesn't say anything new. That's what I'm saying. Like it, it, it thinks this topic is so compelling. We've had this conversation before. You're not taking it anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I believe it or not, folks, I started the season with relatively mediocre hopes, which I think was pretty good. Um, and for the first maybe one to three episodes, I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, okay, that's that's fine. You're doing I'm your jam. I'm going to tell you, started on a very strong note. I really liked the first episode. So did I. I was I like, was like oh, this is a really okay. different mm-hmm. but compelling and fun episode as well. Like I fun agree. in a way the show often isn't, uh, mm-hmm. at least for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, but then as the season goes on, we are – it's so weird. Like, we're leapfrogging from scene to scene, and mm. some scenes don't even last longer than literally two seconds. That, that, that has been the case of this show for an <sighs> extremely long time. It was it's so very notable to me this season. I was paced. like, what the it's fuck? It's got like, a massive editing problem. It's had yeah. it for a while, mm. and we've talked about, like, the really strange, like, transitions and stuff like that, but the, mm-hmm. I've said it multiple times. Yep. The amount of times a conversation will be taking place that I am genuinely interested in mm-hmm. that then ends right as they're about to actually Have the get to a point that's that to get to the thing that's going to be interesting to talk about. Yeah. And it just cuts away to something else. Possibly the same character in a completely different place. I'm like, I don't were we done? I don't <laughs> think we were done there. Why did we do that? It's it it's it yeah. is all throughout the show. Agreed. I mean, I pff, the construction of this season, and like you said, many of them, is so weird. Like, we are racing through whatever is happening on screen from moment to moment. It makes you think, like, because it was the final season and we were getting this crazy, like, frenetic pace, um, I was like, oh, it's because we're racing towards something. We might be building towards something. Um, but, lol, the joke's on us, I suppose, I guess. I don't know why the writers treat a lot of this season like it's a race since, you know, this race apparently is on a treadmill going nowhere for all of eternity. Um, once again, I have to ask myself, why am I in hell? Uh, I'm, look, 
I'm not going to pretend that I thought The Sopranos was okay because it is meant to be great. I can respect its importance back when it was made, but I don't think this show has aged well. It's extremely slow to the point it makes you feel like you've entered a catatonic state. The character development is practically microscopic, cannot be seen by the naked human eye, (laughs) and the rampant bigotry is not as edgy as they think it is. I don't like this show. I think it's terrible to watch in the year 2021. And if you loved it back then, that's great. If you have nostalgia for it, fabulous. Good for you. It is fucking shit to watch in 2021. I would not recommend it. And that's my spoiler-free review. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, I want to start with a couple of things. Number one, I think it's extremely good context. Extremely good context. We are approaching this as people who have... Yeah. You know, who are fans of the current TV landscape. Mm-hmm. We have watched a lot of the shows that have really built And I might be like off- a spoiled baby who's just like had great TV for the last, what, 20 years or something. You know, like, and I understand that. And we owe The Sopranos mm-hmm. some respect for that as well because- I respect it for that, absolutely. Totally. But I agree that coming back to this 20 years later, mm. it does not hold up by modern standards, I don't think. Yeah. That being said, I also think that could be said that could be true for a lot of shows from that period. Yeah. Shows that you and I probably mm-hmm. love, shows that we would like to review one day if you just write 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts for us. <laughs> like I'm not necessarily sure that Buffy for instance would really hold up especially if you were coming at it new for the first time. Yeah. And I'd Whereas, happy to talk about that. And, and I'd be happy it. to talk about that too. Yeah. Context means everything. The first time mm-hmm. you watched it, your attachment to it, all those things matter. So I'm not gonna. I don't want to discount anyone's no, uh, no. relationship with the show, particularly if they've had it for a long time, and if you love it, and if it, if you can see past those flaws, those things that now seem glaringly obvious in the current day, that's fantastic. Even if you approach it today and you don't have the problems we do, I'm glad you're enjoying it. In the broadest sense, though, I agree with just about everything you're saying. <laughs> Maybe not quite to the same level of vitriol. I don't think my emotions are quite so strong against the show. The hangover is starting to hit, so look, that (laughs) might be fueling the fire a little bit. Now, now you you say hangover in the literal sense because you had a big night last night. You may mean the in the metaphorical sense of of the surprise as well. On all fronts, it's hitting me. Right. Um, We'll talk about the chaser to the to this later on. Um, The other thing I do want to say very quickly before I get into this is that I'm really glad we split up season six into part one and part two because I do think they are distinct. Yes. And I do think that this half of season six is better than the first half. Mm-hmm. I'll get into my review. After making our way through 86 episodes and discussing six and a bit seasons worth of TV, the dominant feeling I'm left feeling is numbness, if if you think numbness is a feeling. For the sake of this <laughs> review, I'm going to consider the lack of feeling as a feeling. I think so. In a lot of ways, season six, part two is probably the strongest season since the first and in maybe even my favorite overall. Um, so like, uh, you know, take that. That's not, that's something. Yeah. It's not a fun season though. Uh, I, that's something I want actually want to say right now. I get a lot of, when I'm reading up on people's thoughts on The Sopranos, there's a lot of talk about how funny the show is. I really don't mm. think the show is all that funny. I, I didn't even know that it was okay. It's often it's got a dark sense of humor. It yeah. It it it's it's got a it plays with language sometimes, really mm. verging on puns more than anything else. Mm. And sometimes they'll they'll show up in my side notes at the end some lines that I did find amusing. But I there's a difference between amusing and cute 
and actually properly funny. And a lot of the times I, I, I think people overrate how funny the show is. But anyway, mm. this of all the seasons was not a particularly fun season. In fact, it's remarkably bleak. But at only nine episodes long, it's much more economical and better paced than other seasons. Avoiding the familiar mid-season slump that we've talked about with most seasons. Mm. And delivering a set of tight, character-focused episodes worthy of a final bow to some degree. As per, I have to mention, James Gandolfini's performance. I think he is exceptional as always. Uh, possibly because I was only under the influence, but I was watching one episode a little bit. And I just could not get over... I was really, really taken aback by how good he was in one Melfi scene in particular where he was talking about AJ mm. and sort of the how hard it is as a father to watch, you know, your weaknesses transpose onto them. The idea that you... And I was like, oh my God, this is actually a very compelling human moment. And James Gilderfenny is killing it. He is 100% worthy of the praise that he gets. Mm-hmm. However... While there are some overall strong episodes, a lot of what happens this season, why why it makes it good is because there is a lot that sort of happens in a sense, Mm. in broad sense. What's frustrating for me is that a lot of that I feel like should have happened or could have happened much earlier on in the show's run and would have made the show better overall. It's like when you're saying it's happening very quickly, Mm. it's because stuff's happening that would have made, that felt like it should have come a lot earlier, that could have come a lot earlier because we've covered this ground before, but sort of just diverted away from it. And when it finally gets there, it's like, oh, I'm glad we're here. Too bad where the show's nearly over though. We could have spent some time dealing with mm-hmm. these things, these consequences. One thing that I've I talked about with Mad Men, which is another show that owes a lot to The Sopranos for existing at all, is that, when I got halfway through that season, I'm not trying to spoil anything with, with Mad Men. We, there's a good chance we're going to review it eventually. There's something that happened at the end of season three that was like a massive um, change in the status quo or a big enough change in the status quo that Mad Men, which had come a little bit predictable, you understood what the setting was, the dynamics were with the characters. There's a status quo shift that happens at the end of season three that means season four and onwards is different mm. in a way that is takes the existing characters, moves the setting just enough that it makes for some interesting new stories that we can tell. Or we can look at the same problems through a different perspective, a different lens. That's something I feel like The Sopranos never did and should have done. There should have been an opportunity once or twice more to really change the status quo. I think there was a tiny one in season five in terms of the relationship between Tony and Carmella, and I won't talk specifics. Mm. That was about as good as they got. But it really felt like waste opportunity. And so this stuff that's happening now, some of it is a bit status quo changing or could have been with enough time to really dive dive into it and just feels wasted happening here. While this is one of my favorite seasons, it's worth noting that the feeling I'm left with isn't one of elation or completion or emptiness or even disappointment. It's kind of just relief. And that's because finales are built on what came before. And it's fair Mm -hmm. to say that as we've chronicled our journey through The Sopranos over seven separate podcasts now, we've been rather frustrated. If it, that might be my big takeaway. It's frustration. There is good stuff here, obviously. The show wouldn't be have the stats that it does if it wasn't. But the highs weren't all that high for me. They were few and far between when they were there. And while I don't think the show was necessarily ever terrible, which I think you feel, and that's fair enough, I was bored way more than I expected I would be. I just didn't like it. I don't. I mean, yeah. I, this this has been what's been hard about scoring it, right? Because yeah. 
we've watched bad shows. Like, oh, yeah. Dead Like Me. Terrible mm-hmm. show. Uh, what's upload. that one? Upload, Awful show. <laughs> right? I'm we've like, watched, what's that poor one? Yeah, yeah. Upload. Mm-hmm. We've watched bad shows. Mm-hmm. And this show is not bad like that. No, it's, it's certainly not. It's frustrating because there is a quality here, mm-hmm. but it, it just never seems to live up to it consistently enough. Yeah. I wish I was in love with The Sopranos. I wish I could say it lives up to the hype. I wish I could even have an original, insightful take on this 20-year-old show. Instead, I'm left not just, just not liking The Sopranos, but mm. with a begrudging respect for it because I understand its place in sort of the grand scheme of television and prestige TV. What are you going to do? <laughs> I did want to say one last thing, actually, just at the end of all that. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think the show has going for it, I do understand people think it's thematically very rich. Like, it is a show about a mobster who's going to therapy. That is interesting. You know, what makes a mobster tick? The family dynamics between him and his mother, his uncle, his deceased father, the rest of his family, etc. I get it. There is strong, compelling stuff here. Where I think The Sopranos mostly falls down is while those ideas and themes are strong, its execution on those ideas and themes was not always there. In fact, it was often really lacking. Mm -hmm. It would touch on it without really going far enough with it. And worst of all, I think, didn't make itself entertaining enough or dramatic enough. It wasn't dramatized well. It's, It's great to to have this concept. It's another thing to actually be able to tell it in a engaging, entertaining, dramatized way, which is what this show should be, I think. And that's where I'm left just kind of shrugging a little bit, unfortunately. So Fi- I'm just giving you a standing ovation. Yeah, okay. love that. Yeah. Uh, final score and ranking. How would you rate this season, season six, part two, mm. out of five stars? And where would it fit if you can remember sort of vaguely overall yeah. in your sort of season list. Um, Cause I did this with the handmaid's tale where I like, I gave like the last season of handmaid's tale. Oh, is it? No, it's not the last one. I don't, uh, well, the, the actually, last one news, we on, news, news on that. The yeah. next one might be the last one. Is okay, apparently well, what's being said now. Show. So anyway, I ended up hating handmaid's tale so much that I gave like the last season that I reviewed a very low score, even though it necessarily wasn't the worst season of it. I had watched. I just I was just like, fuck I mean, it you. It definitely wasn't, but sure. Go on. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't feel like I can do that to The Sopranos because um, I think like six, say season six A, I gave mm-hmm. three point five, and it's definitely not worse than six A. It's but better I, than the six A for sure. Yeah, but I cannot give it a four. Okay, so I'm just going to have to sit at three point five for this one. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna. Uh, it's, it's it's we're doing this on the Soprano scale almost. I think yes, we've done this before where we're left like we've trapped ourselves because <laughs> season one we said a four right and. Yeah. It's been hard to go too far up or down on that. I think the lowest I ever gave a season was season three with a three. I'm going to give this one a four. I'm going to say it's my second favorite season after season one. I think season one, if I'm ever going to return to The Sopranos, it'll probably just be to rewatch season one, which I think actually was a genuinely excellent, excellent season of television. Mm -hmm. And just, I mean, we know that David Chase really intended this show to be a movie. And originally it was pitched as a movie. And... Mm -hmm. Maybe there was only one season worth of story that was worth telling here, at least in the way that it was told. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to say this is my second favourite season. Give it four out of five stars. That all being said, I think I'm going to give the series as a whole a three and a half out of five, which is somewhere between decent and excellent, which 
now that I say it, feels a little high. I'm actually going to say three stars. <laughs> I'm going to say it was decent. I'm going to say it was decent. I, 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 I under. Well, that's. See, this is the problem, right? I know that's. My I'm stroking feeling. my chin, trying to figure out what the fuck to do. Yeah. I'm trying mm. to like. How do I justify that? I'm justifying it. That's how I feel. I, I feel it. It's personal opinion. It's like, personal we're not, opinion. This podcast isn't fucking scientific. Like, there are pl- if you want to find a podcast want. that loves The Sopranos, adores its intricacies, mm. is going to go deep on the symbolism, tell you it's a, a masterpiece from start to finish, there are plenty out there. Mm. My experience watching The Sopranos over the last two years, the whole thing has been whelming at best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a three out of five as a series overall. Damask? Oh, you've reasoned that really well. Um, I think it's scientifically sound. I mean, it, it, it's lesser than the sum of its parts, is what I'm telling you. Like, yeah. I can this, the the lowest I ever gave a season was season three out of three, and I just don't. It's as good as like I gave this latest season a four. It's sometimes the it, the, the maths on these things doesn't add up. I'm giving it a three. I'm staying with it. Yeah, I'm reasoning with myself here. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> um, what does two stand for again? Uh, inferior. Oh, well, it it's certainly not inferior. Uh, I mean, I had to watch Upload, for God's sake. Um, yeah. And three is decent. Decent. And four is excellent. Yep. Five is masterful. You want to go there? No. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a twist? I'll give it five. <laughs> um, no, I think I brought... Yeah, I think you're right. I think three it feels the most correct to me. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, everyone, it's that time again where we beg and plead at your feet for you all to review us on Apple Podcasts. Nothing helps a show to grow more than by throwing five stars and a rant about how much you love us. Please, please, please do it now. And to sweeten the deal, if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. I'm fascinated to talk about that. This is like Mm. our version of The Sopranos in that we were there when this was happening. We loved it growing up. And I really haven't examined it that closely. Should we get someone on who hasn't watched it before? That would be a fantastic idea. Good Mm. luck finding anyone who I am friends friends with who hasn't seen... 
uh, all love Buffy already and he's interested mm. in talking about it. But, you know, that's not a bad idea. We should do that. Next time I'm on the train, I'll just like, excuse me, ma'am, have you seen Buffy? I'll just, <laughs> I'll find someone. Yeah. All right. So we would also love you to share hunting seasons with friends, family, people you pass on the street, whoever you want, guys, if you think they might also enjoy listening. Next week, we'll be joined by best friend of the show, Paul Mitzi of the Swapcast podcast for our review of Hacks season one. If you'd like to contribute to our discussion of Hacks, if you have any thoughts on The Sopranos, you can write to us or send us an audio recording that we may include on a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at huntingsk. I would love to hear from fans of The Sopranos what mm. they think about our takes. Feel yeah. free to rip right into us. We'll definitely put it on an off-topic hot topic I can't episode. wait to have a new asshole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great. The second one could be really helpful, actually. <laughs> that's true. But right now, let's talk spoilers for The Sopranos Season 6 Part 2. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning. From here on, we'll be discussing everything that happens in the complete series run of The Sopranos. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of The Sopranos in its entirety. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. You may not like it. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. I want to start with something that's a little bit more fun. Because we've okay. been tiptoeing around this for a long time. Mm-hmm. The Sopranos, mostly because we haven't actually been able to talk about it. Sopranos has a controversial final episode, particularly how the mm. show ends. Yes. Uh, Tony's waiting at this diner for his family to show up. Carmela arrives. AJ arrives. Meadow's having a hard time parking the car. <laughs> as, they're, as they're just sort of discussing, you know, life in general and what AJ is going to do next, etc. Uh, Meadow, we assume, is walking into the to the diner. We hear the bell. Tony looks up. Cut to black. End of show. Mm. What did you think of that ending? I mean, I think it was pretty fitting for what the show was, right? <laughs> like, doesn't it make perfect sense that this show ended like that? Explain that to me. What do you mean? And well, like what? Because like time and time again, this show has told us what it is, which is like, you know, much like Seinfeld, a show about nothing. Um, and so in the end, it's like things go on. Something might happen. That's of no consequence to you, the viewer. Something may not happen. That's no, like there is no consequence. Things just go on. The story continues. Life is life. Here we are. Yeah, make makes sense to me. That's certainly one take on how that ending is. Uh, did you ever consider that maybe what happened in that moment is that Tony was killed? Yeah, but like it doesn't matter because we don't see it. So We don't. Um, and listen, absolutely what I'm about to say and talk about is being talked about a million times. Um, mm. And of, this has been debated, this ending, for the last 20 years. Mm. And it's a very cold take then. Very, yes, <laughs> ice cold. Ice cold take this one. Yeah. Um, the reading I have of it, because I, I had seen this. Mm. I had seen this ending before. A decade passed, like probably the same year that it came out. I was fascinated because everyone was talking about how it ended. So I ended up just watching that final scene and going, oh, okay. I see why people are annoyed. They feel like nothing kind of happened at the end. There was no big finale moment. 
The argument is that actually Tony was killed in that moment and that the show has given you lots of clues as to that being the case, mm-hmm. particularly through the last nine episodes. In episode one of this season, um, there's a discussion where Bobby and Tony are on a boat and Bobby's talking about how you probably don't even hear it when it happens when you get clipped. Mm-hmm. Um in the next episode, Silver's sitting down in a restaurant. He's talking with uh, one of the guys from the New York uh, family who's probably in line, I think, to take over after Johnny Sachs. And he is gunned down in that restaurant. But Silver doesn't hear the first gunshot. You, ju- He just has the ring in his ears and then the blood splatter on his face. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know it happened until after the shot was fired. Fucking weird, says Silver. And so, even in the second last episode, I think, and possibly at the start of the episode, there is a flashback to Bobby saying that you probably don't even hear it when it happens. And so, the idea here is that the way that that scene in the diner is set up, there's this particular attention being, being paid to this guy who's sitting actually at the counter, who mm. keeps looking over at Tony, who goes into the bathroom, that uh, who it, it, you would expect is maybe if he's there to kill Tony... Walks out of the bathroom, has a clear shot because he's right there in front of him, kills him in that moment, and then traumatizes Carmella and AJ, if not outright killing them, and then leaves probably running past past uh, Meadow on the way out. Mm. Um, I think that probably is exactly what happened. Yeah, I think it's a great example of what this show does best in terms of, you know, cool idea, shit execution. Like, so that's a bit I disagree with. I actually think the execution of this is really cool. I don't. But like, it's the only time I think it's ever really worked like that, though. Like, like leaving it as a bit of a mystery, leaving it as something to debate over. I think leaving clear signals that it probably is that Tony was capped at that point. It also left a bit of a mystery as to who did it. Um, of which I've read some great theories that it was Paulie and Patsy have likely come to an agreement with the New York family to get rid of Tony and sort of that the New York family has been able to get them on side. Tony had killed Patsy's twin brother way back in season one or two. Paulie has always been a loose cannon who's been willing to talk with the other side. And uh, he's been he was acting really weird when Tony offered him the best job in the fucking family from a money point of view. And when he was going to offer it to, to Patsy, decides to take it up, possibly to keep Patsy from changing his mind to eventually lead to this. And also, no one knew that, that Tony was going to be there. So the only people that could have known were Carmela, Tony, Meadow, AJ. AJ may have told his girlfriend. There's no reason to believe that she would have told anyone. But Meadow was now engaged to Patsy's son. So he could have told Patsy and then they could have ordered the hit on the Sopranos, uh, on Tony at that point. So it was like, uh, that I found fun. That puzzle, I guess, is fun. I think Because I don't feel like it's ever come great, up in- I think you've done some great work there. Well, I, I didn't think, do any work. I read two web pages. <laughs> yeah. And I, I th- and I think everyone who's done that is fabulous. And that sounds really interesting. I wish the show had shown me that. Done more with that. You know what? Like, that's awesome that you can do that and have fun with that. But I'm not doing that fucking work. Sure. I shouldn't have to. That is, that's not in what I saw. I saw a guy who was like, probably going to kill Tony, went to the bathroom. Then it goes blank. Let's say say though that what the the thesis I just laid in front of you is true. Mm. Paulie and Patsy conspired with the New York mob after Tony killed Phil or the Mm -hmm. the Sopranos, the, 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 the Newark, uh, New Jersey family killed Phil. Mm -hmm. They couldn't let that rest. Not the 
the quote unquote pygmy family in 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 New Jersey. Mm-hmm. They couldn't be seen as being weak. They had to get rid of retaliate and get rid of Tony too. Is there anything compelling to you about the idea that that's where the show ends? It doesn't just end with like, and things go on. It ends with, and thus Tony Soprano died at that moment. We've spent seven seasons with him. I think it would have him, been like, really exciting to see the build-up of that and be like, oh, well, the shit. The theory like- is that we did see the build-up with that. That was that we saw how relationships between New York and New Jersey were deteriorated. We saw how tr- Tony wasn't necessarily looking after people like Paulie and Patsy. We saw their discontent with Tony as well. We know there was one of the other guys whose name I can't remember, um, Carlo or something like that, I can't remember his name, had turned to the FBI as well. He'd become an informant yeah. um, and flipped. If, okay, so like, in that case, if we do see that as the yeah. season goes on and you have somehow made that story so epically boring, <laughs> then... Who cares? Like I don't. Sure. Like, yeah. Yep. You know, like. But nothing- I, I, I love. I love what you're telling me. I really do. I wish that had been the show that I watched, and I didn't feel like it was. Now that's fair. No, I agree with that. If if the execution is not entertaining enough or engaging enough that you cared to even see that as a possibility, mm. I mean, I didn't. I certainly had suspicions about Paulie going into the last couple of episodes or the last season. I've always felt Paulie's mm. always been one of those dangerous people who feels like he could just. You know, do anything at any moment, particularly well, he if he's certainly unhappy. tried to in the past. Yeah. He's tried to with Johnny Sachs and mm. Carmine, mm. who Johnny Sachs was buttering yeah. up with all his bullshit, etc. And he then he turned back to the the New Jersey crew. Like that was always a possibility. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe the bigger question is: there's nothing about that that makes you feel or reevaluate what came before in a way that makes it more valuable. Understanding that this wasn't just a and then the show ended in the middle of nothing. Because mm. it continued on, it really was the story of of the downfall of Tony Soprano. It was actually what we witnessed over the course of essentially seven seasons. Does that change anything about what the show is or was? I wish it did, but I think you're being really generous with what this totally. show has put forward. Yep. I really wish it did because I like what you're saying. And I don't necessarily like hardcore disagree. I'm like, well, that's not what they're doing. Um, mm. I just think what they they did what they were doing poorly. Yeah, I it's think. the execution problem. Yeah, I, agree. Um, I mean, I like the uh, you know thinking back, reflecting on the season gone by. I like the idea of you know when Tony sits down with the New York family and the guy who he wants to know Phil's location, and the guy doesn't tell him. But he's like, you need to do what. You need to do as a way like, well, Tony's going to do that and therefore we have reason to take out him even more. No one's going to dispute that. Like that's like a great strategic move to do. But if I have to like go back to moment to moment of what at the time felt like pretty boring scenes to be like, oh, there might – I think there might have been something interesting there. I don't want to do that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a big believer in that as well. Is that like the show needs to be entertaining? Watch one, not yeah. watch twelve. After diving through a bunch of Reddit threads to figure out what maybe actually was happening and start looking for those clues, mm. I 100 percent agree. It's it's great when a show can be layered with extra meaning and symbolism, maybe even secrets. Mm. But yes. if it's not 
on a surface face value level entertaining, it has utterly failed. Yeah. I mean, I love the the feeling of I'm having fun or I'm engaged watching this show and then only later I find out that it was this kind of like my hand's here so you don't see the hand over here. And then later I find out there's so much more to what I was watching. But I had, you know, I got enjoyment out of what I was watching at the time without needing to know that added context. And when you get context later, you're like, whoa, that was cool. But if you don't have the initial fun, then I feel like you're wasting my time. This is where I want to defend a show like Breaking Bad because I disagree a lot. I didn't didn't think Breaking Bad was perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I certainly have a much better... Um, overall impression of it than you do. I just hate Walt it. so much. You know that. Totally. And that's abiding. like, as you should, right? <laughs> but one thing that that show did, and I don't want to spoil things, is that it didn't leave that sort of stuff. It understood there was, as much as the character mm. work was fascinating, whether that be Walt or Skylar or Jesse or whoever, um, it also was really good at, at dramatizing the plot as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, that I and agree with. Yeah, it yeah. would keep that stuff going and things that seeds that were planted would in relative time come back to have meaning and be important. Yeah. It was like there was one thing at the end of season two that I always wondered how they were going to resolve it. And when they did, it was so good. It was mm. so they understood what they were doing and they did such a good job of getting us to that moment that it all felt like payoff. And it happened in the moment on first watching, not upon yes. a rewatch once having to have talked about this on a forum somewhere. Like, You know, I definitely hate them much for different better, reasons. That storytelling is so much better in, mm. in that show. I agree, yeah. One of the things I talked about in my spoiler-free review as well, a little uh, sort of footnote there I said, is how I felt like I wish there had been more or an opportunity for more changed the status quo at different times throughout Mm -hmm. these seven seasons. And I think a great example of that is, let's say that the ending I proposed here, that Tony was Mm -hmm. killed, right? And that, right? Mm -hmm. That I never really felt like Tony was ever in danger of someone making a move on his leadership before then. Mm -hmm. That is something that should have and could have happened multiple times with different people along the way. Could have been Paulie. It could have been Sylph. It could have been Chrissy. They all these characters had reasons and opportunity to try and like mm. look for a different alternative, and there is a way to dramatize that and and make that a part of the ongoing story, or have a situation where for a while the the New Jersey mob have to work as second fiddle to the New York mob. And have to step back a little bit and take what's given to them before they can plot a way to sort of work their way back up the ladder. Things like that, they never really feel like we had that. What we had every season was a rogue element that needed dealing with. And once they were gone, it like maybe maybe at the end of this season, it's finally come to play. But it never really felt like there was an immediate challenge or something was changing in a meaningful way to make us appreciate the standing of Tony Soprano in a different way. That's that's what I really feel like the show just had a massive missed opportunity with. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Like in when something like like we talk about, you know, Adri- Adriana's death, I think was a really great moment for the show. One of the few moments that really stands out to me. Um, sure. If, you know, if we're willing to kill 
Chris to kind of really point out um, Tony's sociopathy mm-hmm. that certainly could have come at a another moment where we could have really explored that a lot more, particularly in, when we're talking about Melfi's realisation that she is dealing with someone who is a sociopath um, and talking therapy doesn't work. Um, like that's really interesting. I would have loved to have spent more time there. That is one um, of the biggest frustrations I have with this season is the Melfi mm. stuff. Because mm-hmm. it happens with conversations, two conversations off screen with her therapist, essentially. And then she reads one paper and decides that she needs to cut off Tony completely. And it's like, where is like the opportunity for her to feel this out in those therapy yeah. scenes, to test this theory? For her to explore whether this is real or not, to push back on that idea, mm-hmm. to then fail at her own test to then figure out how she's going to deal with cutting off Tony Soprano. Mm -hmm. Instead, she just goes, I can't deal with you anymore. This isn't helping you. Get the fuck out. Yeah. And that, I don't necessarily think the scene is bad, but it's just a, again, it's a waste of drama. It's a waste of time we could have spent with, I think, Melfi's quite a compelling character. Her relationship Mm -hmm. with Tony Soprano is rather interesting. And I honestly thought, her flaw was that she would have a hard time letting go of Tony. It wouldn't take a little bit of bullying at a dinner table where no one understands what patient confidentiality is. and <laughs> So ridiculous, yeah. And then she would just drop him like that. Yeah. That is and I, yeah. And disappointing. I think, like, yeah, if this show wants to like really talk about kind of the affection that viewers have, you know, has grown in viewers over the time that we've spent with – Tony and how like in those moments with Melfi and what appears to be genuine vulnerability mm-hmm. to realize that we ourselves have been manipulated and see that realization in Melfi and really have a discussion about that, how a character like that can be really compelling, but ultimately in reality can't grow beyond being just what they are. Like that's really interesting. And that would have been, I think, a season's worth of stuff. I, I think it's easily a season's worth of yeah. drama there. Particularly when it's one of being one of the best hooks of the show. Yes. Like the Melfi Tony stuff has been it's one of the things that really set the to- the the show apart from anything else. Mm-hmm. And yep. to kind of just drop it because of some conversations that took place essentially behind the scenes feels really mm. empty and a waste. It feels like what would have happened if and I don't I can't remember the story behind the final season of Sopranos, but it feels like you know when if a it show was dropped quickly, yeah, or cancelled, sh- get the fuck yeah, out. Yeah, it was cancelled, and they're it's like, that. "Fuck, that's the end we really wanted, so we just have to drop it in here." Like that's what it felt like, which is weird mm. considering how many hours this show had. Well, that's it too. That's kind of what is weird about this final nine episodes in general. Is I do think there's there's it's a really strong patch of episodes. There's like mm-hmm. a really good Paulie episode. There's a really fantastic Chris episode. There's a great Bobby and um and Janice yeah, episode in mm. episode one. There's like yep. there are these like strong almost like goodbyes to these mm. characters, um. But it feels like they're all crammed in there to have these final moments so we can get the fuck out rather than actually feel like we're necessarily paying off something you've built up to along the mm-hmm. way. And I guess that was a big question I had is, do you feel like any of these characters really, do you feel like their stories culminated in a satisfying way? And part of the show is that, I think it's part of the show's nature to things to just end abruptly and have be bleak and, and, and feel like they were meaningless or feel like 
they were cut off too soon. That's the show's yeah. philosophy in a lot of ways. I mean, I th- I would say if you're just reading to me one sentence of where each character or where we leave each character, I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But it's that issue of the culmination, right? So that indicates that there is some kind of build towards. And I think a lot of times it was either glossed over or we didn't build that tension when it would have been really important to build that so that we finally get that release when that character moment happens at the very end. Um, Yeah, I don't think... If you describe to me how it was built, I'd be like, boo. If you read to me the final sentence, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Anyone in particular stand out? Anyone's endings that particularly like was compelling or hit home for you? I'll tell you one it didn't. I'm really disappointed with how they finished up with Sylv. I just feel like he was yeah. just, just sort of gotten rid of. I was like, he was basically the most interesting member of that entire family and he's just sort of pushed us to the side, neither dead nor alive, just mm. removed from the equation so he can't influence what happens next. <laughs> like, that's really feels like a shame that the writers couldn't figure out a better thing to do with him. Yeah. I think of like one that disappointed me was um, Christopher. I oh, think. That, Cause that was the one I was thinking maybe was the best one. Go on. I mean, I, I think it was certainly done was full better on. than others, but it disappointed me. Cause obviously at this point we have such an investment in that character, right? Like he's one of the few where you're like, we've actually gone on a journey with you, which we haven't with a lot of them. Yeah. However, if you told me that Tony kills Christopher, I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. I think it should have come way earlier because he's dead and then he's dead and that's it, which I guess speaks to Tony's sociopathy, but still like not enough time. Like that should have been a huge buildup of what we get is Chris is feels, well, he's isolating himself. There's some resentment around that. He can't deal with like, you know, being the wet blanket. So he starts drinking again and what in an episode. Um, and then Tony decides to kill him because he's, you know, used up his one last chance. It just happened so quickly to me. And then we're splicing in shit with AJ in the middle of that. I'm like, let me focus on this, please. Let me like mar- be marinated in this story because we've, it, we've seen this coming for so long. And then it's just like, <laughs> it's over. I don't know. I just, I it, missed some quiet moments. Was that its moments point though? Like, like, it's an op- it's so. a, it, take, it kind of takes this opportunity, watch. right? Like, mm. it's another car accident first and all, first and foremost. <laughs> which I was People just, are just like flying off the roads <laughs> in Jersey. Jeez, always, yeah. Um, another car accident. There's more traffic in ditches in Jersey than there are on actual streets. Yeah. And what I think, there's part of me that's like, this is a shame. Because, again, I feel like there could have been much more on-screen tension and drama Mm -hmm. milked out of the Chris and Tony situation. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame that I didn't get to see that. In terms of how it happens, is cold and frightening and really, really traumatizing in the sense Mm -hmm. of what Tony is capable of. And what is fascinating towards the end of this season is how he justifies it. The... He looks at that baby seat. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's like doing his kid a favor. Yeah. He he thinks about himself and the curse he's passed on to his children, particularly AJ. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to see Chris do the same thing to his daughter. 
He sees the potential for, for Chris to ruin his own family in either through killing them through something like a car accident or through passing on his weaknesses to them. And so he removes him from the equation. And then he he will constantly bring up that baby seat as a way to like justify his actions to himself by bringing it up either at the funeral or to calm or whatever. Mm. Then he goes to Vegas, the place he had that coma dream in of all places, gets on peyote, realizes that suddenly his gambling is has done a 180 and like sees that as a sign from the universe that like getting rid of Chris was like the karmic thing to do. Like he mm. justifies it based on the fact that he's now winning at fucking roulette. Mm. Like there is something extremely disturbing about that. And I yes. do like that a lot. Then the show's over. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like that's the problem. Yeah. It's like then the I show is like, over. <laughs> if we had had this Chris situation a season earlier, um, and then that kind of towards the end of this season, that sparks a thought in Melfi being like this something really fucking off here. And then mm. the final season is the discovery of like, there is no helping this person. He is the monster that should be feared. Um, yeah. I think like Christopher and Melfi should have been two seasons side by side, a slow progression into a realisation about who Tony is. There's also like the the question with Tony Soprano was always like, what is it that makes him tick? Is he a good guy that has under circumstance had to be, become a bad guy? Is there mm-hmm. any potential for him to stop being a bad guy? Can he get better? Mm. Or is he too far gone, is a monster and is irredeemable? And so I, I, think the, I think the show answers that question essentially at the end. What, again, I find disappointing about the show sometimes is that it took a long time to fight Rachel's conclusion and then doesn't really get a chance to to dramatise that fully. A season where Tony is pushed or just we realise that the, 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 there is no containing this monster, there's no improving this monster, and he goes off the other end mm. would have been, I think, a little more... Um, would have felt a little more cathartic, I think, as someone who's watched this, who's been asking this question, exploring this question along for seven seasons, and then sort of like, I guess he's just bad, show's over. Yeah. Rather than really going, okay, now that we know that, what does that mean for his family, for his friends, when push comes to shove? I didn't get to that stage, didn't get to dramatise that, the show ended first. I don't know. Maybe I'm being picky, but I, yeah. I just, I just, I keep feeling let down a bit. But at the same time, relieved that we don't have to keep doing this show anymore. Yeah, I also think, like you know, in terms of exploring the beginnings of Tony and this this family curse through AJ. So obviously, like depression, anxiety brought on by feelings of powerlessness, and therefore they have an inclination towards a grasp for power, so they feel control mm-hmm. and. You know, that helps subside or subdue the depression and anxiety for a time, although it's certainly not a cure. In theory, really interesting execution, once again, is really poor. I think the characterization of AJ is annoying and hard to watch. Um, I have no investment in that relationship that sparked his depression. Oh, zero. Zero. That's zero. a perfect example, too, of like, the show didn't do the work to make me 
be there with AJ. I can't be there with AJ. I felt no empathy for someone who is like super depressed and suicidal. It was only perhaps when he was like actively trying to, um, I don't know the right term anymore Um, because you don't commit suicide. He was trying to end his own life. Trying to take his own life, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which was full on. And that was really full on. And I was like, oh, fuck, like this kid clearly just needs to go to hospital. And I was like, oh, good, they're taking him to hospital and he really needs to kind of, yeah, get get some real help. Um, But at no point I feel like the show doesn't really give AJ a lot of empathy either. Like the way that they portray his mental illness as being kind of whiny and annoying. Um, So I just, I struggled and I wanted to, I was like, this could be a really interesting story. But once again, I'm left here feeling, why am I bored or why am I annoyed? Yeah. I think it's a real shame. It's an execution level. It doesn't have the skills to do that. It's got a very specific tone. Yep. um, That's consistent throughout six seasons. And it's bleak and it's raw and that can, for me, unfortunately, mostly translate into boredom or -hmm. irritation. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't just mean with age. I mean in a lot of cases the show just generally. Mm. And it's stop, starty, choppy. It's edits are weird. The pacing is off constantly. It's just the problem is, again, whatever themes or ideas it has – at every opportunity, the execution of the show gets in the way of taking full advantage of that, I think. And maybe it's mm. a sign of the times, maybe just TV writing and and development and production has gotten better. I don't know. But I'm left disappointed. I've just got a random question that I want to ask. Please. That isn't about please. theme or anything. Cool. Um, it's just a question. Sure. So... In an episode, um, Tony goes to see Hesh, who he has borrowed $200,000 from. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony, for whatever reason, doesn't want to pay up and is insulted by Hesh asking. And then his Hesh's partner, Renata, dies suddenly? Yep. yep. What's going on there? No, nothing. Nothing's nothing. going on there. She just died suddenly. Yeah, because I was like, because in my notes, I was like. And Tony has no empathy and he shows yeah. up and he says he's $200,000 by. Yeah. And and on some level, I think Tony's got this weird karmic-like connection mm. to the universe that this mm-hmm. was like what Hesh deserved or something like that. I don't really know what to take away from it. It's not a conspiracy. She didn't die off screen. She wasn't killed off screen or something no, like, like that. There's no fucking way anyone could have no, killed it's not her. That. It's not that. I didn't think there was, but I was like. Yeah, is there something that I'm maybe I was looking at my phone and I missed the scene. I was like, no, oh, okay. That's this show does this a lot where mm. other stuff happens. It's like I, I feel like it's trying like it's trying to be real or something, right? That sometimes shit just happens. Mm. Life just happens. Things resolve themselves in ways that are unmotivated or bad stuff just happens sometime. Kid fucking gets shot with an arrow. Uh, mm. or there's a car accident that kills somebody or it's, you know, weird shit happens that, that that complicates things or changes the game. And I don't think it's saying anything particularly compelling. I don't think it's saying anything about Hesh. I don't think it's saying anything about Tony. I think maybe Tony reads into it in a certain way. It's like he thinks mm. the universe is like on his side or something, but that's 
but that I don't even think is true. The show is constantly telling us that life is just shit. And this is another example of life being shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's cool. it. I, right, I yep. don't I don't think there is anything to take away from that particularly. Mm. All right, cool. Um what do you think of that episode in general though? Like that this is Tony struggling, he's chasing his yeah. gambling debts. Have we seen that before? Like Tony Not having a gambling debt? Really. Problem? And I kind of wish because we knew that there were things yeah. were generally okay at that time with the family. Yeah, and I was he- confused. I was like, is this like just another plot? device it's like well this season tony has a gambling problem i wasn't sure what they were going to do with it so i think at that point i was just like what are we doing what are we doing here like where's where's this gonna take us um i'm trying to remember what else happened in that episode that was the the main crux of it he needed the money he was paying back cash he was trying to pay off um veto i can never remember now um veto's wife who oh, wanted yeah. to leave because oh Vito yeah, Tony Jr. was going to try and talk to Vito's kid who was apparently a violent goth. I don't know many violent goths, but anyway. Um <laughs> you know, all these sorts of things yeah. were shitting in the They usually like to keep to themselves, yeah. Yeah, they kind of do. It was really yeah. weird they were kicking over gravestones. It doesn't seem very like in yeah. line with that at all. Should they oh, be? Oh yeah, hanging no, sorry. Out? It is episode four. I'm looking at it because it's my least favorite episode. It was also mine to give a spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, they hadn't done it before. I actually kind of wish they'd done it earlier. I thought Tony's gambling, his, like, it was a crutch he had, almost in line with something like Chris has, in a way that we've never really seen before. What's his, like, Achilles heel? And it kind of felt like really added in at the end. (laughs) Um, Got one season of it and then he... Yeah, no, I didn't didn't like that episode. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. Did you... where do you feel with Chris's ending, right, yeah. was a lot about what Tony did. Mm. How do you feel about sort of the resolution for Chris? I think it's – it's Chris is really ultimately a big tragedy, I think. Um, like a violent, monstrous tragedy. He himself, yeah. you know, what happened with Adriana and all well, that. Well, that's the thing is like because of what happened with Adriana and he – I mean, clearly he was struggling with it. We get – a few lines here and there of that being something on his mind in terms of simply not even what happened to Adriana, but, you know, wanting a little bit more praise about letting that happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard because I was like, fuck you, Chris, he's moved on so quickly. He's got a baby. Mm. I wouldn't have, yeah, minded a few quiet moments with, Chris in his new life and seeing how he tries to fit into that and then ultimately how his new life and his old life kind of butting heads. He wants to be this new sober man and that's great. And then obviously his life is incredibly violent, um, hedonistic life. Um, There's like scenes and stuff, but it never like – I, I, I want to be with Chris in those moments. I felt like I was watching sure. scenes. I didn't feel like I was with this person called Chris. I, I agree with that. Going and, through stuff. And it, what was happening in that episode was we were cross-cutting between Tony and um, I think it's the episode before Tony kills him, actually. Mm. there's uh, Tony is dealing with the AJ stuff and sort of mm-hmm. coming to terms with that. And then Chris is trying to 
is sort of dealing with his addiction and the problem. Like I really enjoyed the scene of a uh, of sorry of um Chris at his AA meeting talking about his boss who offers a drink with one hand and judges you for taking it with the other mm, or yeah. is pushing you aside because you don't join in on those things. And I was like, that is a compelling, compelling problem mm. in a relation. These two are connected so viscerally because of so many circumstances, especially Tony's relationship with Chris's dad, Chris's relationship mm. with Tony as like his fa- he's like his older brother, he's this cousin he loves, this uncle type figure, almost a father-like figure. Like there is is a really compelling drama there. And there were scenes where where he was talking about, I was like, this is great stuff. And I really actually enjoyed the scene where he decided to have a drink with Paulie, because Paulie mm. had been giving him a hard time. And he was probably the most active decision I've ever seen him to break his sobriety. And it was like, like this is the time you've really crossed, really crossed the threshold. I feel I felt that way several times. But this one was like, boy, he's really, really made this decision to to fall down this this hole again. And then to see everyone laughing at him as Paulie is ha- making jokes about him, I was like, yeah. this is this is really sad. And I and I do feel for Chris in this moment. Of all the storylines this season, and in general over the course of the show, I think Chris's might be the most compelling. I think Chris is probably the character, at the end of the day, I come away with feeling like I've got a really complete picture of them them and their struggle Mm. and how stuck they were in their their cycle, in their, um, their spiral. Like, that I really liked. Well, he's the one who really goes on a journey. He is. And everyone else. Not a great journey. No. But it did feel like I followed Chris through a lot, including the stuff with even Cleaver in the end. I actually ended up finding that, like, finding some element of success there, enough success that he can see a life beyond the family, mm. beyond Tony and the Sopranos. Like, that was, I, that was, I was there enough with him. Of all the people, I think Chris was the one I, I came with feeling something for. You didn't like what they did with Calm. With Carmella. Yeah. No, did you? Not necessarily. I think what we discovered about Calm is what we was the same things we discovered about Tony. It's that mm. there is a lot of pretense of being better or above these things or that she's yeah. the victim, but ultimately she is the author of her own problems just Absolutely. as much as anybody else. Like, I really had to, you know, laugh in that yeah, the first episode. Great episode, um, where they go to the lake house. Yep. Um, and it's like Post fight, and Tony has taken Bobby out, and come the scene come, between her and Janice. Yeah, it's great so scene, good. right? Yeah. Great, it was really good. And then, um, come having the audacity to say like he's not a vin- vindictive person or violent, fucking yeah, or, liar. <laughs> yeah, but also like we've you know seen her try and divorce him, uh-huh. and for her to sit there and tell Tony's sister, who absolutely knows who he is. Um, that he isn't vindictive or violent is just. I was like, oh yeah, they're they're both massive assholes. Yeah. They fucking deserve each other. Yeah, yeah. That that's where I sort of am fine with what I left. Calm. I don't think there was anything to add to Calm at this. Well, stage, that's the thing really. is like I don't think they had anything more to give her. No, the 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 icing on the cake for me was the stuff with the house. Like mm. she'll lean on Tony to get the inspectors to 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 overlook the fact they're using she timber. She'll blame her dad when the 
this is a problem, but she was happy for him to do it his dodgy way. She'll sit there at night and worry the storm is going to... Um, there's going to cause a problem before the house can sell, but she's not actually worried about the what might damage this might cause. No. She is a Tony Soprano of her own sorts, but what she's good at doing and what she is, how she's learned to survive, is to blame other people when things go wrong. It's Tony's fault or it's her dad's fault. It's not her fault. She'll yeah. feel guilty, and that will be the thing that makes her a good person. But really, she's just guilty of being. She's just worried about being caught and that she can't have success on her own. Fuck Carmella, and that, <laughs> and like I love the the that is something that I appreciate with Carmella as well. Is like the picture of her has become clearer and clearer. Conversations like, and now they should put the wall up, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that they now that they've immigrated to the United States, but yeah. anybody else, you know, they can yeah. fuck off. It's the fuck off we're full. Yeah. Yes, or the reading the George W. Bush book in bed, like these yeah. little details that tell you exactly. The, the not the conflict, the contradiction that is Carmella, because she's a massive fucking hypocrite. I I didn't need anything more from Carmella, and I I, I don't think she was brushed aside. I think they just didn't have anything else to add at that point, and they were Which rushing. I think it's a shame because, like you know, they can find Tony's inability to change or like all of that stuff. They can keep telling that story, apparently. Um, but they can't give Carmella some scenes or something to do. I mean, most people didn't really get a satisfying... I don't think got a satisfying ending. I think everybody got an ending. Yeah. Silver is a perfect example of that. Bobby yeah. is a perfect example of that. These aren't satisfying conclusions. They're just endings. They're just done. Yeah. Um, Meadow, on the other hand, is basically used as a maybe a, a plot device to explain how they knew that they were at that diner at the end of the season. Otherwise, what the fuck is she? Oh, th- no, it is she interesting. Tell she's people get- that AJ is depressed. Also, she's going to get into criminal law, which I think is an interesting. Like, I almost want to see that sequel series. It's oh, like there was Meadow, like the, <laughs> the defendant um, yeah. working. Yeah. As a defendant for like mobsters is kind of an interesting concept. And it's, I loved, I actually really enjoyed the scene um, between her and Tony. And he keeps talking about like her becoming a doctor, like a pediatrician and helping kids. And that's the thing you should do. And then you see this like look of recognition on her face and just manipulating his ego and being like, oh, well, you know, like after, you know, seeing the discrimination against Italian-Americans inspired me. And then she like twisted even further being like, and having, you know, watched you be like torn away from me so many times, dad. Mm -hmm. Like I think she has an understanding of who her dad is and how to work it and be like, no, no, like you can either, you well, what we find out, he can sympathize with babies, animals and himself. And if she's not going to be a pediatrician, she's going to focus on the self. And he's like, you know what? That's great. Yeah, I can be proud of you now. Did you um? What did you make anything of the cat in the last episode? By the way, um, <laughs> did I make anything of the cat? Um, sh- sure. <sighs> the <laughs> go on. The bad omen. The paranoia of. Poorly, is it dead Christopher? Um, I think the show really wants you to be asking questions about this cat. Uh, the CGI I'm cat like, at the end too, which I love. I'm like, get rid of this fucking cat. Uh, the the obvious the obvious idea here is that like it shows up at the very end because Paulie's the rat because the cat would yeah. obviously be chasing yeah. a rat. 
because that's what cats do. Mm-hmm. Um, very The Departed, <laughs> which, yes. as I was going to tell you, film, I think is massively overrated. Um, Everyone says that. And I don't agree. I like The Departed. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but then again, I I don't I never rated it. I suppose sure, sure, and sure, those sure. types of films. And then when I sat down and actually enjoyed like a mob movie, I was like, oh, that was surprisingly entertaining. Yeah, gotcha. sorry, go on. The only reason I brought the cat was because you talked about animals. Uh, mm. To go back to to Meadow for a second, I think yes, she's probably playing up Tony a little bit. Mm. I also think I also think that was maybe one of the more like if there is anything to take away from Meadow, it's this idea that. She has a very biased opinion of the justice system because she has lived inside mm-hmm. a family who, from her perspective, has been treated unfairly because she yeah. doesn't actually know what the fuck her dad has done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that then she would potentially go on to to protect or to defend mm. monsters um, yeah. in her career is like a fascinating trajectory for her I, on some level, but yeah, not the she, level the show really cares about beyond She talks a, a big game about, you know, helping those who are unfairly persecuted in the system, um, but then she's going to work at this really big law firm and, yeah, yeah, help defend mobsters. But I also thought it was quite funny that, you know, she was, she was pre-med when she was dating someone who was – you know, in medical school, and then she started dating a lawyer and decided to become a lawyer. I was like, well, that's pretty interesting that she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, just aligning herself with whatever man is in her life. True. Uh, something I just did think about with Calm as well, the line where she says to Tony that AJ didn't get his mental illness from her side of the family. It's like, fucking hell, Calm. Actually, the other thing Calm did <laughs> that as well- was so brutal. Brutal. The other thing she did as well was she this, there was a very weird moment where she started really questioning- Chris, in a way that mm. just felt like bad business. It's like I understand I understand she's upset, but like when she's telling Tony that that Chris has made this revenge fantasy, it's like you're setting up your cousin to have a really bad relationship with your husband here. Like, were you mm-hmm. thinking about that for a second before you started telling your mobster hub's husband that? Like, that was no, really... No, because she was talking about how hurt she was, which is a classic Soprano family way to go. Sure, it's like, sure. I'm not actually thinking about how this might, you know, change the dynamic between anyone else. I, like, I have feelings right now and I'm going to let you know about them. I did like I did like the scene where Tony told Calm that um, Chris was dead. I thought that was great. Mm. Um, performance from Eddie Falco there. Uh, bye, Bobby. Bye, Sylv. Uh, bye, Johnny Sachs. Bye, Junior. Mm. Did any of these storylines this season really compel you at all? I love Bobby. You I love, love Bobby? Bobby? I love Bobby so much. And when fucking Tony decides to send him off to kill someone just as a like a as a fuck you i was like keep control and i was was at the time i was watching it if i was like if bobby gets made for this i'm gonna be so fucking angry (laughs) at tony little did i know that this season would have the death of bobby while he's looking at his trains oh oh that scene i was i think i actually just went no no (laughs) not my sweet bobby you saw it coming surely Yes, I did, I but it. I was okay. really upset. Yeah, sure. No, that's um, fair. And then, because that's the thing is like, I love Bobby and I love Syl. And then like that episode, I was just like, this sucks, man. Like, and I, yeah, I guess that was the purpose. Of it. Like, it just fucking sucks. Um, as, as did the situation with Junior. 
as did the situation mm. with Johnny Sachs. I thought both of those were compellingly bleak. Yeah. Um, I was, I don't yeah, know if they had I a was, lot to say, but it was like, whoa, this is sad innings for both these characters. I think, like, the whole New York family stuff I don't find particularly interesting or compelling, but I was actually rather engaged with, like, Johnny Sachs in prison, mm-hmm. dying of cancer. His family, his wife, who we... we come to know quite well and who yeah. he loves so much. Like that being, Johnny like Sachs he was, has been he loved one of the better yeah. fully illustrated characters on the show yeah. in a weird way, actually. I think the mm-hmm. complexities of him, um, the sort of the lines he's had to sort of walk mm-hmm. as the boss of the New York family, trying to work with the Sopranos, the situation with the FBI, being mm-hmm. in prison. They actually did a pretty good job with that stuff yeah. overall. Um, and a good performance from that actor as well, I think, really helps. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any side notes to mask? I do. Um, so when we were watching Cleaver on, on mm-hmm. the big screen, uh, at first I was like, <gasps> as soon as I saw him, I was like, that's Jonathan LaPaglia, who mm-hmm. is the host of Survivor Australia, Correct. and I love him. In that, and I was like, "Oh, he's in Sopranos. That's exciting for him." And also, like, there's so many Baldwin's. But as soon as I saw that, I was like, <laughs> "He's got to be a Baldwin." Um, so that's my first one. And I was like, "I kind of want to watch Cleaver because it looks like a great bad movie." Yeah, I think Cleaver would be a good film to watch. Actually, I agree. Uh, one note I wrote down as I was watching is I'm literally going through my spam folder in my email and unsubscribing to marketing emails. Like that's how bored I was at one point. I was going through all of my, all those fucking, that trash bin just being like, no, I'm, I'm going to unsubscribe, unsubscribe. Like I, this show could not hold my attention to that level. Um, another one is that Lincoln logs look disgusting and I had to Google what they were, um, which apparently they're like a hot dog, split in half and then you put cream cheese in it and you put that in a bun. It's just like, America, what are you doing? Uh, Lincoln Log sandwich. I was like, what the yes. fuck? <laughs> disgusting. Um, every time I had to watch Tony have the worst sex in the world with much younger <laughs> women, I was like, this is so gross and depressing. <sighs> um, and then, yeah, my final one was just, you know, that scene between Carmella and Janice being amazing and i mm. loved carmella just being an absolute lying arsehole yeah i really liked that first episode actually for a long time it was my favorite episode of the season uh some lines that i liked as i said there's a lot of just like wordplay slap it's, it's not even wordplay it's like just people saying the wrong word but because it's the wrong word in a funny way that makes it a joke i guess uh what, the what sa- example the sacred have? and the propane Oh, yeah, uh, I noticed that a lot because I was watching it with captions and I was like, did the person writing no, that <laughs> writing was, the captions that get wrong? And then, the I, joke. and then it kept happening and I was like, yeah. oh, it's like Kath and Kim. Prostate with grief? Yes, it is like Kath and Kim. Yeah. Like that's what that's exactly that's mm. exactly what they're going for. Pacific Ocean. Pacific I mean, was Ocean. It, it? Yeah. Don't be so Pacific. Oh, don't be yeah. so Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. That's, exa- <laughs> that's, that's exactly what it is. Uh, they should build a wall now, though. Amen. Sorry, that was one of the other lines. We've already talked about that mm. one. Some interesting cameos. Christopher McDonald, aka Shooter McGavin, had one scene as um, Chris's sponsor, I think. That's like, right. Okay. Yeah. I was like, he's going to come back later. And he, and then I forgot he about not. him and started the show. Yep. Lynn manuel Miranda, a very yes, young Lynn manuel Miranda, had a, a little line in there. Uh, one of your favorite moments, I'm sure. I know you love mm-hmm. him. Yeah. <laughs> 
We were talking before our Khan was reading the George W. Bush biography. Still reading How to Clean Practically Anything, I thought was a fantastic little detail as well. I love that they played the free parking rule and that that was yes. a point of like contention at Monopoly game because mm-hmm. we played that rule as well. And if you think about it, it's the dumbest fucking rule. It's just a way to completely like sabotage any integrity Monopoly an awful yeah. game already has. Well, Bobby says that. He's like, well, now you're taking a game of strategy to it, just a game of chance. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Uh, Paulie- I also like in that moment um, someone says, fuck the Parker brothers. Yes. At one point I was like, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Totally. Um, Paulie answering his phone in the theatre during Cleaver, I thought yeah. was a very Paulie thing to do. One of the harshest editing moments in the show I can think of is as Johnny Sachs is like dying on his deathbed, like literal death rattle, it mm. pale and bald. The cut to the cue ball on the um, on the snooker table, on the pool table, is like, that is a fucking harsh cut. Like <laughs> that poor guy, I don't even know if Johnny Sachs deserved that. Um, not the most subtle symbolism ever in the show was when the asbestos was being dumped into the water with the ducks quacking. Yeah. It's like, boy show, really laying it on thick now, aren't you? <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, and just something I had to bring up. It's a total in-joke. You may not even remember this. In the first episode, we did season one of The Sopranos. Liam was on the show and mm. we were talking about how I knew what the ending of the show was. Yes. Uh, one of us said, obviously, that he became an astronaut mm-hmm. and like yeah. took off into space. And we ran with that joke. We thought that was a very funny idea. There was a bit when, you know, when Tony's ripping the the recipe out of the magazine in Melfi's office mm-hmm. and the line is this sauce or whatever will put your any grilled steaks into orbit. I'm like... <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> is this could going we, where I think could it's Could we going? do this? Could this be where this is heading? For a second there, I was like, oh, my God, we're mm. not Shandamas. Uh, for a show that's 20, year old, 20 years yeah. old. Least favourite and favourite episode. What was your least favourite episode, Damask? Um, yeah, like we said, it's episode four. We've got the Hesh stuff. Which is technically episode 16, I might add as well. Yeah. If you count, whatever. Yep. Whatever. Um, yeah, I had the Vito Jr. stuff and I was like, what are we doing with this kid? Mm-hmm. Um, that poor kid. Oh, God. Um, yeah, it was just an episode, a weird meandering episode. I didn't know what we were doing. I was confused. I was like, is this a point where like this, what happens in this episode is somehow going to like roll out into others, but it really was as in- insignificant as I feared it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a an all over the place crappy episode. Yeah, uh, it's not like I I dis I didn't love it. I definitely didn't love it. I think the gambling stuff would have been more compelling if I felt like it was part of Tony's character earlier on, mm-hmm. rather than just all of a sudden he's gambling all the time and can't win, and then it kind of plays into some of the Chris stuff when he goes to Vegas later, and all of a sudden he's on a winning streak. Mm. That's about all I got out of it. And the stuff with Vito's kid, yeah, didn't do a whole lot for me. Yeah, weird episode. Felt. Stood out as being pretty average amongst what was otherwise relatively strong episodes, I think. Mm-hmm. What was your favourite episode, Damask? Um, I'm going to go with episode eight. So, what's that? Episode 20? Sure. Um, I like that episode because... Which, do, which episode is that one? What happens in it? Um, it's the one where, though I don't like the execution, I like that, oh, things are happening. Um, so, we've got the admission that talk therapy does, not, does nothing for Tony. 
Yeah. Um, and we also have a war on the verge of breaking out. I was like, oh, that's exciting. Okay, so something's oh, so this actually- is the second last episode. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, the blue comet. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm like, oh, cool. Like a war is about to break out. Like we've kind of been toying around with this for a while, but people are actually being taken out. Um, with Bob, with Bobby's death, which broke mm-hmm. my heart. Um, Seal gets taken out, and I was like, fuck no. Um, I was like, one thing I fucking hated though, as like in every episode is AJ in that episode when his dad comes in and he's like, we have to go. And he's just like, has the most annoying reaction (laughs) in the universe. And I was just like, fuck, just get rid of AJ. Why can't AJ be killed? Um, yeah. So that was the, the bit in that episode. I was like, fuck this episode, but no, otherwise I was engaged throughout this episode because of the stakes. Yeah. What about you? Uh, mine was episode 18, which is Kennedy and Heidi, which is the se- the episode where Tony kills Chris. And so that one mm. that one was like one of those times where the show feels like, like stuff happens randomly or suddenly sometimes. But this one was like, oh, fuck, this is a huge moment. Mm-hmm. Like... Yep. There has been tension between these two characters forever, but their relationship is held strong because of Tony's connection to Chris's dad and like the way he treats or, or considers him like a son. And so for Tony to, in that moment, take the opportunity and be able to convince himself that it's the right thing to kill Chris right now and to make sure that he doesn't survive this car accident mm. was full on. I was like, is this a fucking dream again? Are we back in dream world? Like this, yeah. is, could this actually be happening? Um, and then as it went on, just seeing him try to justify that, the trip to Va- Vegas, the he's dead moment when Tony's on peyote, that it was the best examination maybe of, of the true monster that Tony actually is, mm-hmm. that it, it felt like, yeah, the, 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 the final point, the dot point that was like, but this is really who he is. This is, yeah. there is no denying this reality. Uh, so yeah, and... Yeah, no, that was my favorite episode, I think, for sure. We normally do predictions, hopes, concerns now. There's no more show. However. I have a concern you're going to ask me to do the fucking prequel. There is a movie. (laughs) (laughs) The Many Saints of Newark comes out in October. It's already been delayed since last year. We're we're done. We we are ready to watch that movie. (laughs) Do you have any interest in watching... Two more hours of The Sopranos. Because I like, I totally understand if you're not. And I don't mm-hmm. think we need to do it for the podcast. However, there is something from a clear, purely academic point of view that I'm interested to see what this movie looks like. For example, uh-huh. James Gandolfini's son is playing young Tony Soprano. Mm-hmm. It's a great cast in general. It's a stacked cast, the mm-hmm. people who are in it. I am interested to know a little bit more about Chris's dad because this is, seems like it's going to be centered on um, Dickie Montesante, which is Montesante, by the way, translates to many saints, hence the many saints of Newark. Gotcha. So, you know. Thank uh, you. And also a two-hour film that ta- that's been made 20 years later because the show was such a meandering sort of storyline, a story that's told and has to be much more economical and tight, maybe that can be really well done. Maybe the same voices 20 years later, if they're coming back to this with a story they think they're going to be told, 
maybe it can actually give the story the energy and the and the momentum that a movie asks of it and that might make it good i'm tempted i'm real I'm, I, I mean i'm gonna watch it yeah i don't disagree with what you're saying i mean that's one part of it that interests me is that because this show um i don't think has aged well i'd be interested to see what those storytellers do now yeah after, you know we've come so far in terms of how to tell a story so that I'd be interested to see if it's, you know, good. Um, I also want to be a part of like, there's going to be a reaction to it. Mm. And we are now in a position to understand people's reaction to it because we've seen the show. And mm-hmm. so maybe the show, maybe the movie isn't good. And I'd want to mm. see how people pass that, deal with that. Mm. Maybe it, maybe their memories of this show aren't as what they mm. what the show or the stories actually are. Like I feel like now that we're here, it's something we should try to be a part yep. of. <laughs> if we do it for the podcast, I'll watch it. Done. Obviously. We're doing it for the podcast. Good. Fuck. But can I just say if yes. it was if I was just a regular Joe and not the incredibly famous podcast host that I am, um and it was just you know, me left to my own devices, I would not be watching it. Totally understand that. Yeah. I think that's fair enough. So I just want yeah, that to I, clear. It, I will do it because then the whole thing is complete and we can have a good discussion about that. Um, but no, watching The Sopranos has not compelled me to want more from this universe. I completely agree with that. Mm. There's there, there are little tidbits here and there. I'm like, like, you know, seeing a young junior and a young, like spending some time around some of these characters mm. who... Talk about those old days and the and the the history that does really inform a lot of where these characters are at. Like I'm fascinated to see Tony does talk about his first kill, um, and Paulie was there and told his old man that he did a good job. Like, mm. are these the sort of scenes we're going to see? Are we going to see some seeds planted? I'm interested in spending more time with a young Lydia, Olivia, sorry, mm. and like, um, maybe a young Calm, a young. A very, very possibly baby-sized Chris, even like I'm not, I'm not 100 sure of the timeline, but I think that's really possible. Is that that's what we're talking about? There's a good chance that Dickie dies in this, so that means that Chris has to be born already. So you could literally mm. be a baby, like a young Sylve. You know, these sorts of the characters that I did appreciate on some level, or at least have a tiny fascination with, seeing a little bit more of them in the early days, what sort of led them to where they were. There's a little bit of compulsion there, compelling there. Mostly it's academic though. Mostly I'm just like, well, we've come this far. Okay. <laughs> Apart from the many saints of Newark, that's it. We're done that's with Sopranos. It. Unless the only thing that we would continue to talk about on any level is if you've got something to say to us. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. Uh, you can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, a.k.a. at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Hull of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordes, on Twitter at bgordes, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. Um, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Maskymo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. But I've just got to say, I weirdly, as you were talking, I was thinking, oh, we finished The Sopranos and the sun's out in the sky. I had that exact feeling you get on like, the last day of school before holidays. <laughs> like that, I literally had that feeling. I was like, oh, I feel so excited. I want to enjoy my day now that I've finished The Sopranos. Anyway, Beautiful. go on. Um, but I am. I would love to hear from people if they have, if they yes, agree yes, with please. what we're saying, if they disagree, if they think we're complete fucking morons, 
please let us know. Can't wait I'm to hear. Fascinate. I've I keep saying I would love to know what it is that I think we're missing. Mm-hmm. But I was like, before I even came on to do this episode, I was doing a bit of research. Like, what are the criticisms against the Sopranos in general? And often mm-hmm. it is what we're saying. It's slow. It's repetitive. It goes in circles. Mm-hmm. What is? What are the? What makes the Sopranos so well regarded critically? And honestly, the more I read, the more it's about what it was doing at the time. Mm. That was different. And it's that legacy that seems to be the most important thing. Fair. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I'm just talking as a viewer in 2021, this is my experience. Yeah. But happy to be corrected on that, or at least hear other people's sides of this. Next episode, we'll be back to discuss Hacks Season 1. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. It's good to be back. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Good night, everybody. 